0: take a seat. It's time for therapy.
2: Movie Therapy.
0: Hey, Movie Therapy listeners, it is me, Kristen, with another bonus episode just for you. What you're about to hear is an appearance I made on Subtitle, which is a podcast all about languages and the people who speak them. And in this particular episode, I was talking about the self-help vocabulary words that irk me the most. As you know, I'm not opposed to giving advice or seeking help, but boy, oh boy, do I hate the word manifest. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to Subtitle wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And now, on with the show.
2: In the beginning, there was a word, and the word was manifest. Adjective. Able to be seen. Clearly shown or visible.
1: Example, their sadness was manifest in their faces.
2: That's from Merriam-Webster. Also,
1: Noun, a list of passengers or an invoice of cargo for a vehicle, such as a ship or plane.
2: In the 19th century, and with a capital M, manifest takes a darker turn. Manifest destiny. An ostensibly benevolent or necessary policy of imperialistic expansion. That's one way to say colonial Americans killing indigenous people at the behest of God. God, or rather the universe, has a hand in a more recent definition. It's manifest as a verb. And it dates back to 2006, to a video by an Australian woman named Rhonda Byrne. It's called The Secret. I'd been given a glimpse of a great secret. I began tracing the secret back through history. All I wanted to do was share the secret with the world. You know, this secret gives you everything you want, happiness, health, and wealth. Rhonda Byrne later turned this into a book, also called The Secret. Here's her claim. There's this thing called the law of attraction, And through it, our thoughts help manifest whatever it is that we truly want. Money, health, love, success, happiness. Like attracts like. Everything that's coming into your life, you are attracting into your life. But if something bad happens, it's also because your thoughts attracted it. Are you fat? You attracted your own fatness. If you die in an unthinkable way? you attracted your unthinkable death, whatever the circumstances. Here's a direct quote from Rhonda Byrne. In a large-scale tragedy, like September 11th, Hurricane Katrina, etc., we see that the law of attraction responds to people being at the wrong place at the wrong time because their dominant thoughts were on the same frequency of such events. This is the flip side of manifesting. Who would get behind this idea of cause and effect? Oprah. That's who.
1: It is the secret to creating the life you truly want. Make more money, lose weight, fall in love, land your dream job. Isn't that amazing? This is life-changing.
2: In 2006, Oprah Winfrey used her singular name and the juggernaut of her daytime talk show to promote Rhonda Byrne and The Secret. It went on to sell tens of millions of copies and to make hundreds of millions of dollars. But the clearest legacy of The Secret is that it launched an enduring new definition of the word manifest. Oprah still seems to embrace it. I am a powerful manifester. Mm. And there's now no shortage of people who use the word manifest in this way, who believe it, and who want you to do the same.
1: This is the video talking about how I, me personally, script to manifest all of my dreams into a reality. You guys.
2: Love it or hate it, manifest, and other terms from the secret, like the law of attraction, vision boards, gratitude journaling, they've entered our vocabulary and they're not leaving anytime soon. Quiet Juice, and the Linguistic Society of America, this is Subtitle, Stories of Languages and the People Who Speak Them. I'm Kavita Pillay. The language of self-help is familiar fruit from a very old tree. It's got some invasive species too, and it's spreading like crazy. If you've done a cleanse, set boundaries, practiced mindfulness, taken up a gratitude practice, Ended a toxic relationship, decluttered in a quest to spark joy, or tried to win friends and influence people, then you're already versed in the language of self help. It's a language that offers diagnoses and an occasional cure for the ultimate affliction being a human. But what makes self help as American as baseball and apple pie? And what does the language of self help tell us about our era and ourselves? There's the idea that we can uplift ourselves
0: and that a lot of our mythology, at least in the U.S., is about being self-made and we can be anything we want to. We can be born a pauper and at the end of the day, be the president. There's so much self-determination in our national
2: mythology. And that's a lot of what self-help is. Self-help is not a new phenomenon. For most of history, it came through religion. Think the Ten Commandments in Christianity, or the idea of karma in Hinduism and Buddhism. But self-help as we now know it has a very American bent, dating back to Ben Franklin, who authored The Project for Moral Perfection. It includes a list of virtues such as frugality and chastity. 200 years later, we've got decluttering and self-actualization. When I set out to report on how we got from there to here— I really wanted to speak with Kristen Mindser. I sent Kristen an email and very quickly she responded. You could say that I put it out into the universe and I manifested our interview. Manifest.
0: Manifest drives me nuts. I hate that. I hate that so much. I hate it so much.
2: Okay. Not a fan. And Kristen knows of what she speaks. She co-hosts a podcast dedicated to testing out self-help books. It's called Buy the Book. In each episode of Buy the Book, we choose
0: a different self help book to live by, follow it to the letter, and weigh in on whether or not it actually changed our
2: lives.
1: For this, our. To date,
2: Kristen and her co host, Jalenda Greenberg, have lived by over 60 self help books, putting each book's insights into practice for two weeks straight and sharing the results with listeners. That adds up to years of living by self help books. They're really leaning into this whole self-help thing. But Kristen's a skeptic. So how does someone who's skeptical about self-help books get through so many of them? I think some of the
0: books do have bits and pieces that can be useful. Some of them can be incredibly damaging. I'd like to shed a light on that. But more than anything, the reason I'm along for this ride is because I care about The values that are put forth in books and in media, I'm also a culture critic, and so it's not really about the books, if that makes sense. You know, I could just as easily be talking about politics or about medicine or anything else, but what it comes down to is I'm trying to shed a light on what's working and not working as
2: far as our social and national narrative is concerned. Self-help books may be the best-known and most obvious part of the self-help sphere. But as our media ecosystem expands, so too have the ways in which you can seek out self-help. You'll find it on TV shows, streaming platforms, audiobooks, podcasts, and of course, social media. And even if you don't follow the most popular self-help influencers on Instagram, chances are that you've heard the word influencer. As I worked on this episode... I kept an unscientific list of the self-help terms that I heard over the course of a week. Hacks. Work-life balance. Through mass media, social media, friends, and colleagues, I toxic, heard toxic positivity,
1: productivity, productivity lean lean in, burn out, burnout, spark, joy, vision board, growth, purpose, stoicism, cleanse, love languages,
2: wellness, self-care. Well, can I just jump in there
0: and say that some of those words drive me nuts? Self-care in particular is almost always taken out of context and not credited to Audre Lorde. Audre Lorde, feminist, civil rights activist. And her opinion that self-care is necessary so that she, as a woman of color, can go out there
2: and continue the good fight. Lorde wrote that not overextending herself was, quote, crucial, physically Psychically. Caring for myself, she wrote, is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. That was Audre Lorde's take on self-care. This is a term that's supposed to be related to activism, and now
0: it's turned into bubble baths and watching Real Housewives. And it's fine to take bubble baths and watch Real Housewives— But that is also completely erasing the history of what that term is supposed to be or originally was about. Not that language can't evolve. Language absolutely can evolve. But it's important that we don't erase the origins of that term and keep in
2: mind what it was supposed to be about and that we do continue the good fight. Cultural observers have noted that the 2016 U.S. presidential election is when self-care entered the mainstream in a big way. In Slate, Aisha Harris wrote that, it became the new chicken soup for the progressive soul. And that the week after the election, Google searches for the term self-care skyrocketed. It gets at one of many catch-22s of self-help and helps explain why it has flourished for so long in America. If you're anxious about the demise of democracy and voter suppression, maybe it's because you've got a flawed system. And that same flawed system isn't going to give you what you need to combat the black-white wealth gap, decades of wage stagnation, or a growing political divide. A lot of the self-help industry is providing a place
0: for people to turn to to get that help that maybe they can't get somewhere else because their medical systems aren't giving them what they need, because maybe their health insurance for most of history has not covered mental health or job training or those other things that self-help books often do cover. I think of self-help also as not just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but maybe we don't have a national safety net that is providing straps or boots for us.
2: Remember my list of self-help terms? I kept a parallel list as well. If the first list were the leaves and branches of the self-help tree... This second list is about the unseen elements, the pith inside a tree. It includes references like the 19th century New Thought movement. In New Thought, American healers drew on ancient Asian and Western practices and claimed that all diseases were rooted in thought. Sounds a lot like what Rhonda Byrne claimed in The Secret. The list also includes Protestantism, scarcity, moral perfection, Corporate capitalism, predatory optimism, feminism, patriarchy. But other things I'd add to the list are structural
0: inequality and privilege. So much of self-help is based on those things. Who can follow these rules and get to the top? And who can follow these rules and be considered an angry black bitch? You know, who can follow these rules and um, be seen as more respectable and more authoritative and who can follow these rules, and people will continue to not listen to them, you know? So I I really don't think that um, we can completely talk about what the ecosystem is of self-help books without acknowledging the privilege and the
2: systemic inequality that we live with. After the break, self-help and the pursuit of happiness in the happiest country in the world. Find a location near you at Bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. In the past few years, Finland has earned a reputation for being the happiest country in the world. I recently moved to Finland and I wondered: is there much demand for self-help books in a country where things seem pretty good?
1: My name is Laura. And I work in and Bookstore in Helsinki City Center. We call it the Book Palace. Sometimes in Finland, self-help books, it still seemed a little bit like lowbrow, like a woman's woman's fiction type of genre, (laughs) even though in our stores there's quite a range on the self-help books.
2: Well, let's take a look at what's here in the Finnish self-help section. (laughs) Glennon Doyle, who's definitely um, up there.
1: We have Eckhart Tolle and Rhonda Byrne, of course. So we do get influence from from especially U.S. and U.K. cultures. Uh,
2: Now, do you have any favorites um, that you would consider self-help?
1: One that I really like. Not highlighted, but um, made a lot of notes and post-its. was a Finnish book on like um, burnout and being exhausted. I'm not the only one loving it because it sells has been through the roof, even though it's hard, as saturated, as field as self-help is, to become a bestseller or even a let alone steady seller.
2: Wow, so in a country that is now uh, happiest in the world, four years running, a book on burnout is a big seller.
1: For sure, yeah. As good as things are in Finland, we're we're still not free of all those structural issues and how to handle them. So I think there is a downside to self-help if we think about that it would be the solution to all all that is... um, Structural issues, and then it would be individuals' uh, responsibility to fix all of those by their own action, which obviously is not possible. This
2: is one of the paradoxes of self help that Kristen Meinzer was talking about. People turning to self help for personal problems rooted in structural issues. There's no shortage of conundrums and contradictions in the self help sphere. Maybe it's fitting. The term itself feels like a contradiction. The comedian George Carlin did a bit on this about 20 years ago, and I wondered what Kristen might make of it.
1: If you're looking for self-help, why would you read a book written by somebody else? That's not self-help. That's help. There's no such thing as self-help. If you did it yourself, you didn't need help. You did it yourself. Try to pay attention to the language we've all agreed on.
0: I think a lot of times... In our path to taking care of ourselves, we will turn to somebody else to first help us get onto the path so that we can finish walking the path. And we kind of have to do that with self-help books. They're not going to hold our hand the entire way. They're going to be with us for anywhere from 100 to 350
2: pages, right? And then the rest is on us to do it. The rest is on us. And I think that gets at a bigger underlying contradiction. Growth and change – Becoming a better version of yourself, aren't those things we should all aspire to and celebrate? And if so, why is there so much disdain for people who use the ever more available tools of self-help to get there? The disdain for self-help sometimes borders on hatred. In the same George Carlin bit that you just heard, he also talks about wanting to kill off people who read self-help books. I will say that I've definitely come close to having
0: thoughts like, George Carlin before. There was almost a disdain I had in the past also of like, what is wrong with you, feeble, lost souls? You are the kinds of people who would join cults because you would believe anything somebody told you is wrong with you. And as I was saying earlier, uh, we also live in a society where a lot of the moments where we feel like we've hit rock bottom are the times when we need that mental health support or that medical support and we haven't always had the systems in place. We still don't. So I understand. I think the longer I've been making by the book, the more empathy I have for the people who feel drawn to self-help, even though in the beginning I was very much
2: more in George Carlin's camp there. Because it covers everything from astrology to neuroscience, the self-help industrial complex is hard to quantify. Suffice to say, it's large and lucrative. Market size estimates range from $10 billion to several trillion. Trillion! And so it's no surprise that there's another category of self help lingo in the business world. Take a look at Harvard Business Review. The list of topics includes ones you'd expect mergers and acquisitions, employee incentives, but it also includes things like mental health, mindfulness personal purpose and values, authenticity, emotional intelligence, and sleep. There's the business of self-help, also the self-helpification of the business sphere. But I think they've always overlapped. But for the
0: most part, male authors have tried to make sure they're more, historically speaking, more on the business side of things, because that's the more serious side of things. So much so that certain awards for books, even just combine them, like the Audi Awards, which are for uh, audiobooks, their award is just one category, self-help slash business. It's one category because they acknowledge they're all the same books.
2: It's just that some people don't want to be in the self-help category. Kristen remains a self-help skeptic, but she's also a self-help author, it's sort of meta. She and her by the book co-host Jolenta Greenberg have authored a book, Distilling the Wisdom of the First 50 Self-Help Books that they covered on the show and their personal experiences with them. I was intrigued by a particular word in the book's title, so I asked Kristen about it. The title is How to Be Fine, and it has, you know, the all-important how-to is in there in this category which is really seems to be dominated by like superlatives and major promises. The word fine is interesting because it's kind of underwhelming. And I wonder why did you go with how to be fine?
0: Because we don't want our book to be about being aspirational. We want people to accept themselves and their own expertise. And at the end of the day, what we hope you see is we all have different experiences with books. And hopefully at the end of reading the book, we won't change you, but maybe it'll be a reminder that it's okay not to believe everything you read,
2: including us. Maybe being fine isn't enough to manifest your dreams, but maybe it's the secret to keep you from spending more money on self-help books. And I'm fine with that. Tina Toby is our sound designer. Alison Shell manages our newsletter and social media. Thanks to Aki Yarvanen and Laura Honkanen at the Akademinen Kiria Kaupa in Helsinki. Also thanks to Sitara Nieves, Bethany Coughland, Sauli Pillay, Alison Reed, and everyone at the Linguistic Society of America. Subtitle is a member of the Hub & Spoke Podcast Collective. We're a bunch of podcasters who are all dedicated to telling stories about stuff that you're not going to come across anywhere else. Here's one of the other Hub & Spoke podcasts, Iconography. This is a podcast about icons, things with meaning in our lives, meanings that we don't fully understand, like a full English breakfast, Plymouth Rock, the Spice Girls. Iconography host Charles Gustine tells stories about these icons that help us understand them. Check out Iconography and all of the Hub & Spoke shows at hubspokeaudio.org. That's it for this time. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks.
1: Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, Exploring the Human Endeavor.
0: Hub & Spoke. Audio Collective.